This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, movie lovers, for another Anatomy of a Movie, where today we talk about Solo, a Star Wars so- story, not to be confused with 1996's Mario Van Peoples movie of the same name. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Well, welcome back, everybody. Dimitri Panos here. And thank God I am not solo today. I have my band of rebels when we're ready to talk solo, a Star Wars story today. Uh, just a couple of uh, things. Uh, if you, uh, well, if you're a regular viewer or listener of Anatomy of a Movie, welcome back. If not, just be warned, we are very spoilerific. And we will spoil the movie. Not like bad meat, but just the movie. So, uh... Please listen on, view on, watch on, whatever medium you have. Uh, We really appreciate you joining. And why don't I introduce you to my band of rebels today? We got Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. One of the originals of Anatomy of a Movie. And then we have returning guest panelist. Christian Blatt, welcome! Hello, if it's a Disney property, I'll be here. Happy to talk Star Wars, always. (laughs) Well, glad to have you back. Glad to have you back. Uh, Phil is out tuning up the Millennium Falcon today, Uh, (laughs) but he will be flying back and uh, with us next week, I'm assuming, I hope. So, uh, let's get into Solo, uh, a Star Wars story uh, released by Disney, uh, of course, because they release like everything, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> so, every other um, film is Disney. It, it, yeah. Basically. And once they buy Fox, everything will be Disney. Right. So, as we always open up every show, we open up with opinions, and I always love to defer ladies first. Marissa, what did you think about Solo? Uh, so, I was excited to see this. Um, you, you know, the, the whole talks of Solo and the Star Wars films in the past few years. Uh, I remember when they first casted. Alden and everyone was like kind of not to say wishy-washy, but we're we're like well, wasn't sure what to expect. But after seeing um, Hail Caesar about two years ago and knowing that he was going to be Han Solo in this film, I was like, hey, I, I can picture it. I can see he can get the pers- persona, the personality, charismatic. Uh, it was fun. This film was fun. Had high expectations and, and hit a lot of them. Um, um, really, the only adjective I can think for this film was fun. It's a good adjective. Yeah. I think it's a, an apt adjective because that's uh, what I was telling people because I had known people that were kind of on the fence, you know, hardcore Star Wars fans like, yeah, but do I need a movie about Han Solo, a young Han Solo? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a territory that's been well mined in sort of uh, expanded universe novels and comics and things. And I was like, yeah, I definitely want to see that on the big screen. Uh, I didn't know anything about uh, Alden, is it Einrich or... Einreich, I always get his name wrong, but I didn't know anything about him uh, going into it. And uh, but I was just like, well, it looks cool. I am definitely ready to go on the journey. And as I was talking about beforehand, I saw it for the second time yesterday morning. So uh, clearly, if I saw it twice, 
it must have uh, done something for me. And I just found it to be fun in a way that uh, perhaps the last couple Star Wars movies were not fun. Yeah, and I will be the first to admit, and I believe I even said this on Meet the Movie Press, uh, some time ago I went in with this into this movie with some misgivings. Uh, I had a reservation. You know, there was all the, the, the story changing directors. We'll get into that. All that drama. But even the hiring of, of Alden, uh, I think for me anyways, and we'll talk more marketing, but the trailers weren't selling him. And I think they did a, 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 a misstep in how they put their trailers together. So when anybody asked me if I was looking forward to it, I would be, uh, wait and see. I'm cautiously optimistic, I hope, uh, but I but I went in with, like I said, some reservation and misgiving. By the time the movie was done, I had a big smile on my face, and I was, this is, this is what a solo movie should be. And I think it was a B-movie western set in space, which Star Wars, the original, is somewhat of a Western, Western. Sure. you know, written by the Kasdans, who are no strangers, Lawrence Kasdan, no stranger to the Star Wars universe. And no strangers to writing westerns. Uh, this had this had those glimpses of Silverado in there because Silverado was a fun western. So wasn't this. You had double crosses, train heists, dastardly villains, and of course Han Solo. And I thought he won me over. He won me over. By the time, again, the end of the movie, I was like, yeah, I could see him morphing into Han Solo. Yeah, I think going into the movie, and, and to your point about the way they sold it, I was excited of, like, I can't wait to see Lando, and I can't wait to see Chewie and the Falcon, and <laughs> uh, I don't know what to think about Han, but cautiously optimistic is exactly what I said. And legitimately, the movie starts, you know, and he's he's stolen that speeder, and I'm like, yeah, I still don't know. But within, like, 10, 15 minutes, I, 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 I was all in. My wife kind of nailed it. When he meets Chewie, you're like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what I want. And uh, he really won me over. The kid at the beginning of the movie who is Han Solo, it's like, it's really hard to imagine him being the Harrison Ford Han Solo we know. But then at the end of the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, he's seen some things now. And uh, you can see that uh, he really he, he really gets there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And and I like that progression within this movie for like the, the two hours that we were watching this film. You can see where he started and where he ended up. And Christian, like you said, you, you can see how he got there. I liked that it shows that he, he can think on the fly, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> like it, and yeah. and he, he's good at lying his way out of situations, which it, we've seen in other films. Absolutely. And, but you can see why he had to do it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it, it blows up in his face. And But it's funny because it, it's a character development. Absolutely. And, uh, you know... Two things I wanted to uh, point out. Two, you said, you know, two-hour movie. I think it's clocked in a little bit. 215, yeah, but yeah, a lot of that, yeah, there's credits. I, I sure. felt that the pacing of the movie was was fantastic for this kind of a movie. I, I it was didn't like, feel long. No. It fell short, and that to me is a strength. It's a positive, right? I liken this kid's Alden's uh, performance to uh, 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 Chris Pine. Because, and here's why. Chris Pine is... Is, is chosen to play Captain Cook, right? And you're filling in these shoes of William Shatner and wisely J.J. Abrams and company is like, they don't, he didn't play William Shatner. 
he played Captain Kirk. So you can see the morph, the, 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 the evolution of him going into Captain Kirk, right? And there were glimpses there. Same thing with Alden. He didn't play wisely. He did not play Harrison Ford. He played Han Solo. There's a difference. And by the end of the movie, you can see him literally morphing into the Han Solo that we all know and love. I mean, when you have an actor like Harrison Ford, it's hard to put anybody else in his shoes. Much like William Shatner, who had 50-year legacy... Right? Of people watching him, how do you pick somebody to play that character? And I really think that he, to everybody's point here in the panel, I think he did a really good job by the end of the movie. Yeah, I was thinking about this movie after the fact, and that's a great comparison to Chris Pine. I was thinking of it in terms of like the first time you see a new James Bond. I think Daniel Craig is great, but still, that first movie, you needed a few minutes. You know, you're just like, oh, this guy's James Bond. You're like, oh, I really like him. But not the first second you see him, you're like, I'm all in on this James Bond. You have to mm-hmm. you have to kind of win us over a little bit. Yeah. And I think that this was an example of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and I do, we're going to get into production, but since we're talking about casting, this has a, uh, well, it has... A multicultural cast that has a cast of like Good, knowns, unknowns people, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and and people that I that I really enjoyed. Uh, so uh, let's talk a bit about this casting. And since we talked about Alden and him winning us over, uh, I, I want to start off a little bit. I want to start off with like I want to go lower to higher. So people like like Dandy Newton, right? I didn't even know she was in the movie. I didn't either. I didn't yeah. either. <laughs> she wasn't in the trailer. And I was like, Danny Newton's in this? <laughs> okay. What are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, what are you doing in here? Mm-hmm. But cool. Like, I liked her character, um, albeit short-lived. But she was, I liked seeing her in this movie. I think she's a great actress. Yeah. I mean, watching her in Westworld, her character, not to spoil anything, is like, very badass. Um, very, you know, driven, motivated, and, uh, and can face challenges and, and villains and stuff and, and hold her own. So I think she's a great actress in that because she's already established that she can do that in Westworld. She can obviously do it in, in this film. And, she, and she's a great dramatic actress, too. I mean, she yeah. was in Crash and all, yeah. all these dramatic roles. So I think she was awesome. And to see her play opposite of Woody Harrelson, who we know can be fun, <laughs> X, Y, and Z, we'll get into him. But I think she w- she was really well casted for the short amount of time she was in this film. She held her own. And, and, and the chemistry, too, for the short amount of time, worked. Like, it worked with her and Woody Harrelson. You bought them as, yeah, we're rogues, we're scoundrels, this is our life. But we want to have another life. And I bought into it. I bought into it. Uh, to your point about it being a Western, her character is the one you kind of always need. You always need that character who's willing to blow up the bridge with them on it because, like, look, this has to get done. And I, I don't know. That's It's one of those things that you just – you need that kind of self-sacrifice. You're like, yeah, it's been a good ride, but, uh, you know, go yeah. have the big score. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, and, you know, to that, extending that point, Rio – um, is that character too? It's part of like the Magnificent Seven, and people, our heroes, die in the Magnificent Seven. Now, I, all through uh, while Rio was on screen, I'm like, who's that voice? I recognize <laughs> that voice. Who's that voice? And it turns out, cause as soon as it was done, I IMDb. Oh, it's none other than, you know, entrenched in Disney. John Favreau. Yeah, I had a. I, that totally I, makes sense. When I saw it yesterday morning, my friend was like, "I know I recognize that voice, but it's bothering. Who is it? Because he wasn't going to be able to concentrate on the movie. It's John Favreau. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's great. And 
isn't he going to be the showrunner of the Disney Star Wars series? The, at least yeah, it was and I think he's going to direct another. Yeah. Movie. so I mean, it's like he's just like, yeah, the jungle. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't mind I, if he directed a, a Star Wars no. film. Sure, he's great. Yeah. He's good. He's good. And it was, it was, uh, it was just. I, again, I liked Rio. I liked that character, and they sort of kind of do that psycho thing where two couple of characters of the band get killed within the first fifteen minutes of the movie, yeah. and you don't expect it, but. Because they they had such presence in the short time that they were there, like their deaths, I mean for me anyway, sort of meant something. I was like sort of bummed, but you understood. Okay, that gives Han his time to to pilot. Um, but it, I don't know. I, not that I got teary eyed, but I was like, huh, they're not going to be in the rest of the movie, <laughs> right? And and I think it goes to show that it, it's fun to have different types of quote unquote nationalities, personalities in in, in this movie but also it shows that these guys were already here first they had a mission they had that same mentality of rebellion um empire is bad let's do x y and z um and and i like that because it shows yes they were there first but they had to eventually get out of the picture so han can step in and become the person that he is so essentially they just had to not to sound terrible get out of the way so han can take place and step up sure absolutely so uh and then from there i want to let's talk a little landau let's talk a little bit donald glover what were your thoughts on his lando calrissian awesome yeah he was great is that i'll let you elaborate on that but uh, Uh, i i was uh this is what i was the most excited for because i thought Donald Glover was such a great choice before they'd ever even shot it. And like, this is going to be great. And I think that, you know, he captured the essence of Billy D. Williams without, you know, doing an imitation of him. I think he just nailed it perfectly. And I loved everything to do with the capes and all of that, just the style and the fashion. And uh, yeah, he, he was great. If, if there's a complaint, could have used a little more of him. But you know what? At least he really made the scenes he was in count. Right. It was very believable how that you, you can tell that Han and him were were friends, but like more like frenemies in a way, but on a civil level. I think Donald Glover did everything. I could picture him as young Billy D. And I rewatched Empire last night. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, he nailed him so perfectly. And and I love how they kind of modernized him just a little bit with the, the personal webcam, like a selfie video, <laughs> which people of our generation know what he's doing, but it still helped with the technology back then, quote, unquote. Um, I loved it. He was fun. He was charismatic. Um, I think that, and the way he delivered his lines was so simple and effective, like, I hate you. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, he, funny. Yeah, funny. those parts were funny. I, I guess for me, he was a little bit too Billy D. Williams, other than trying to own it. I mean, mm-hmm. I liked him. I didn't hate him. Stuff with the capes. <laughs> Hysterical. Yeah. Like, That's a custom piece <laughs> when she's trying to put out the fire, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and I love that. But to me, again, that goes to the strength of the writing, which really beefed up the characters a lot. Uh, and I really do think, too, we'll talk writing in just a bit, but I really think that the writing has a lot to be given credit for the characters that we got, and I think that the actors rose up to the level of the writing. Um, because there's so much going on, and as Star Wars fans, you have a lot to live up to when you're doing Billy D. Williams and, 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 and 
you know, especially in Empire Strikes Back, right? But you, you the line, I hate you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's like, and, and he puts his arm around him. That is such, uh, like, that's a Han Londo moment in Solo that when we get, when you see Empire and he does this switcher, he goes, what are you doing here? And it's a good scene. And you can see how it translates into Empire. That's what I liked a lot about the writing and how that one scene in particular, you you talked about it. It works. There's I, a lot of motifs. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. There's a lot of motifs in this one that definitely go back to Empire because when we see them like reunite, you, you can tell that they're giving each other a hard time and then they embrace in a hug. And then you also saw that in Empire. And, mm-hmm. and like it, it, there were certain elements of their relationship, their friendship, that can translate throughout all these years they're friends. Yes. And yeah. going to the point of the I hate you, Han's response of I know, which of course is a motif from Empire Strikes Back, right. a very famous moment. So yeah. I just it was I loved their interaction so much. And uh I I'm sure that there'll be more uh, Han and Lando interactions uh between here and Empire Strikes Back that uh, sure. I think will just uh you know just be even that much more fun. Yeah. Did you yeah, notice the fun. helmet he was wearing? Oh absolutely oh, Woody Harrelson. <laughs> yeah, Woody yeah. Harrelson yeah. was the yeah. same yeah. helmet. Yeah, the, the Lando that disguise. Lando wears Lando in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah it was great. That, that was a great touch, too. It was cool. It, it, again, that is what part of what made Solo fun for me. Even silly things like seeing the the idol from Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, in, in um, Paul Bettany's... Uh, well, there. supposedly they had the items from all three of the the first Indiana. Actually, the four Indiana Jones movies, because there's also a Crystal Skull. So if you right. like look well, around, you big, can see. Yeah. Well, you couldn't miss the big yeah. Crystal Skull. So, so there's, but the <laughs> that was huge. Uh, I, I guess the Grail's there too. If you look, and I was looking for all of it the second time I saw it, and I didn't catch all of it. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I love those little things. Doesn't doesn't necessarily help the movie. Doesn't hurt the movie. But it's a little something extra for people that are uh, you know not yeah, invested. It, well, yeah. it was just funny because the first time I saw it, I was just I was like. Wait a minute. Is that the... I go to my friend and go, that's the idol. Throw me the idol. Throw me the idol and I throw you the whip. I'm like, how did he get the idol? I thought that that was... It was like really front and center. And then you see the big crystal skull. That thing was huge. So, um, well, let's talk about Dryden Voss, Paul Bettany. Uh, Again, you know, so entrenched right now in the Disney... Oh, it's like, well, you're done with Vision. You want to be in the solo movie? Yeah, all right, I'm not doing anything. You killed me. Well, actually, Paul Bettany <laughs> so, begged Paul. to be in this film. He he wanted, <laughs> I mean, like good friends with Ron Howard, the director. He he just wanted to be in the film, like a cameo as a stormtrooper. And then with the whole recasting of the directors and whatnot and reshifting of direction, that they rewrote his part into the script so he's actually the villain yeah. he just wanted a cameo he, he's funny his his character is sort of kind of like um the sheriff uh in in silverado he's he's like that western sheriff where he's very congenial and nice but then he'll he'll he'll, he'll shoot you in the heart because you slighted him in one in one way he sort of kind of reminded me of brian denny his character there but i thought he was good i liked him yeah, it was great, and it's it's nice to to see his face, you know, when he's not being, yes. when he's not being Vision in the <laughs> Avengers movies, or even Jarvis, or yeah, or Jarvis, exactly. So I thought it was uh, it was great, and yeah, he he was just uh, the right tone of you know basically like a, a crime boss, at where it's like sometimes somebody's got to kill the governor. Okay, but now let's have a drink. Uh, I, I hate when I get worked up like that. Right. And so uh, I think that uh, it was great, and you know, it's just another one of those things where it's like that's a character. 
not going to get to see again, but that's all right. Okay. You know, I think it was uh, it was fun though, and yeah. uh, I really liked the casting. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Uh, leaning, uh, going into Amelia Clark, the very adorable Amelia Clark in this movie, and it was nice to see her outside of Game of Thrones, um, and I bought her as a Han Solo love interest. And and again, what the movie is able to accomplish, at least for me, is when you put um, Kira and Solo together at the beginning of the movie, they get separated pretty quickly, right? Yeah. But I still, when that happened, I bought it. I was like, oh, bummer. And, you know, I'm going to come back for you. So w- w- what were your thoughts about Amelia Clark? As, uh, as as Kira. See, I've only I don't watch Game of Thrones. Right. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> so right. I've only seen Amelia Clark outside of it, and right. I think she she's a great actress in and of herself. So I'm sure she's amazing. And in Game of Thrones, don't knock me on that. <laughs> but um, I, I liked her. She she was independent, and but I couldn't understand her character yet because I mean we didn't we did get a full movie of her, but we don't have enough of her character to right. know is she good, is she bad, is she really just in this for survival and she's partnering up with all the wrong people, mostly just for her own self um, survival and, and self-preservation in that way. So I was just wondering, she seems like a good pe- person who's just caught in a bad situation. Yeah. Uh, and I also uh, don't watch Game of Thrones, uh, so you can be mad at this whole side of the desk. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, very consciously, I, I don't. Uh, but I saw the movie twice. It was after the second time that I'm like, oh, that's who that was. I only know her from Terminator Genesis. It's really right. the only thing I've ever seen her in. Sure. Uh, and I know that's not a, a popular entry in that franchise, but I thought she did a, a good job as that character. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, and I, was, I thought she was great. I really liked their rapport, you know, early in the movie. And then when we see that it's been a few years... There's definitely some distance, but she still has a fondness for him. And uh, I think that's not easy to portray. You can either just be like, you know, just hot and cold, you know, and then when she comes back, she's just really icy towards him. And uh, I think she was able to get the nuances really well. Agreed. Agreed. 100%. And she, yeah, again, and for, for a female character, was, ri- was written with good nuance. And she she performed the nuance throughout very well uh i really liked her so um yeah kudos to her and for breaking out uh being in a good franchise and then we go on to woody harrelson how many franchises can this guy try to so be so many um, good for him <laughs> well good for him absolutely as beckett the 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 scoundrel mentor <laughs> uh and the leader of the pack so to speak uh I had a really good time. I, I enjoy, especially these later years, the roles that that Harrelson goes in. Whether it's on like Edge of Seventeen as the as the as the, the teacher. teacher, and he was fantastic as Beckett and as the rogue cowboy. I mean, again, if you couldn't figure that this is a western, the way he's slinging his guns, <laughs> that scene where we're introduced to him, you understand why Hans like, wow. He was. I thought he carried it off really well. That he was a fun character. I'm always excited to see Woody Harrelson. It's so funny when you think back <clears> to you know just how good he was on Cheers. And oh yeah, it's 35 years ago now. So it's so different from that. And you've just seen him do so many different things. And uh, I think that 
I don't know. Sometimes in a movie, in a franchise like Star Wars, when you have the recognizable face, it could be distracting. But I don't think that happened in this. I think he really he they got the perfect part for him to play. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if if he'd played a Jedi, it might have been like, Ooh, how's Woody a Jedi? But I think this was perfect for him. I agree. He's totally the scoundrel that you can see Han Solo trying to become until the end, and then you see where Han Solo and he split. And and I think that I think the relationship and how that relationship ended really cements where Han Solo's going forward. And it's really it's said in what the middle of the movie where where Kira says, you know, you really are a good man. And he's like, No, I'm not. And he always wants to be like not the good man solo. Yeah. But in the end, he is the good man. He has the heart that Beckett may not have ever had being his duplicitous nature and, you know, that twist at the end. Let me ask you this. Did you find Beckett's betrayal a twist? Did you think that it was going to be him? Because they really did that reveal very slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody betrayed the team, and you immediately think it could be Kira. And she's like, it wasn't me. I definitely uh, was uh, fooled for that because I did think it was Kira and I liked I mean obviously when there's the delay before somebody walks in I'm like oh, okay I know who it is but not in the moment when it's like oh let's have my associate come in I'm like well alright I guess it can only be one person you know and uh, I think it made sense and what also makes sense is how he tried to then like triple cross Voss and you know right. always out looking out for himself yeah. How yeah, about you? Exactly. I didn't really see him as the the the, the big twist in the end because I thought it was also Kira as well. But it it goes to show they threw us a red red herring when they established his characters like don't trust Foss, don't trust Foss. It was like first of all we shouldn't trust you, uh, and right. he he was always telling us who was the villain, and he ended up doing something as duplicitous as he did. So it. And we saw moments where uh, the the reasons why he's, like, doing train heist and all this. He he has good thoughts. His heart's in the right place. Just what he does is not the best way of going about it. So the twist in the end, I was like, when they had the reveal, I was like, yeah, I could believe he he would also do that, too. He's he's like, I did tell you don't trust anybody. Yeah, Yeah. and see, and to me, that, 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 well, that line's in, like, a lot of movies, it stands out to me for like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, yeah. was, um, where, where that line is is very comes in very important. But I think I must be the only idiot on the planet that for like two seconds I thought it was going to be Lando, you know, because that you know yeah. because it is Lando who betrays them on Bespin, right? And and I thought, oh well, maybe. Um, the way that it, the way that he takes off, I, yeah. I think that did make sense. And they were actually, now that you mentioned it, the first time I saw it, I had a little bit of a, is it Lando? I'm like, no, of course not. So, yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> no, of course not. He only turned him in in bed. It'll be later. Lando yeah. just wanted to get the hell out. Right. He, <laughs> so, he after what they out. just went through, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> but, but I really liked, uh, I, I, it was good seeing Woody Harrelson. Um, and while we're on the Woody Harrelson, um, well, we're talking about Beckett. Uh, that character also confirms something that the Kasdans will we'll, we'll start getting into writing uh, for a bit. But to me, uh, a great part of the movie was towards the very end. Uh, and the Kasdans uh, were very adamant that they wanted to stamp the decision that Han shoots first. Han shoots first. And 
To me, that was a great scene. I think it was very important that he. There's no way in that situation you can't shoot first. He's like, right. and and uh, Beckett even says, "I would have killed you." Yeah. So it's like you had to, and that's why I always believe Han always shoots first, no matter what George Lucas tried to tell me twenty years later. Yeah, and and again, I grew up. I grew up with Star Wars. I was an eleven year old kid. Yeah, I'm that old. Han always shot first, yeah. so it was always crazy to think otherwise. But I loved how the Kasdan say, and I quote, "There is we leave no doubt that Han shoots first. And it was in mid-sentence. It wasn't like it wasn't like Beckett was saying, you know, I'm gonna kill you now, and then he shoots him. No, he was talking. He had like a monologue, and he just shot him. Yes. Yeah. It was a cool scene. I it was liked a good it. shout out. And, and I think, and we'll get more into cinematography <clears throat> later, but there, there was a shot where when they're, they're fighting or they're, they're facing standoff with the, the, the pirates. Yeah, quote the there. And there was an actual shot of his hand like over his gun. Yeah, right. Total Western before Total. a shootout. I was like, yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that's a good establishing shot. Definitely Absolutely. Western, O2 Western, but definitely shows that he's willing to shoot first. He is, and, and I commend the Kazans uh, for doing it. Uh, and again, I, I said at the top, they're no stranger to the Star Wars universe. So Lawrence Kasdan is no stranger to the Star Wars universe in uh, writing westerns. Uh, I really thought that the screenplay here really elevated everything else. And they made a, a space western that's fun. It's, it, technically, it's a B-movie, but we got a great chase scene. A train scene, I should say. Yeah. A train heist. So uh I wanna talk yeah. about what what are your thoughts about about their screenplay and, and how they they worked it out. Because a lot of people are like, Oh, it wasn't dark enough. And I'm like, No, I think it was the perfect tone for a solo movie. Yeah, I was talking about this yesterday <clears throat> and I think that the exact wrong approach would have been to give us Christopher Nolan or Zack Snyder's Han Solo. You know, and I know those are directors, but that sort of approach would have been completely wrong. I think there are characters in the Star Wars universe that you could certainly do that with, but Han Solo is not one of them. I think you needed to have fun. We always li- he was always very likable. You know, even in uh, New Hope, you see it for the first time. He's like, well, that guy's taking the money and run, but uh, we liked him. You know what? He's got his own problems to deal with. I guess it's all right. Uh, I think that they, they had the right tone. I'm fascinated, and I know we'll, we'll probably never really know. I'd love to know what the original screenplay was with the original directors, before Ron Howard came in, what's so different about it? I would assume that the essence is there, but I wonder how different it was. And my gut reaction is that what we finally saw was much more fun than what they were originally commissioned. Well, let's go into... Well, go ahead, Marissa. I'm sorry. sorry. What I liked about the the screenplay and just the story in itself, Christian, you mentioned if Christopher Nolan did it, we'd have a completely non-linear story (laughs) going back and forth trying to figure out where the heck we are in the timeline and and storyline and how they all match up. And I'm glad that this film is very linear. Um, We went from place to place to place, system to system, um, situation to the next situation to the next. Like, everything wrapped within each sequence. And and I liked it. It was easy to follow. Yeah, much like the original Star Wars. Exactly. You know, I mean, it had that that, that feel to it. But in answer to your question, there's there's an amazing, there's a great article that I'm going to be um, referring to right now from Variety that talks about the bumpy road. Uh, to having this movie made, and to your to your uh, to answer your question, Lawrence Kasdan was very candid 
about it. And again, no ill will towards towards the original directors, but he said it was it was all about tone. He said that's what wasn't working, and they weren't really uh, the Lord and Miller weren't. They had the script, but they were doing a lot of they were working off of a lot of improvisation, going off script a lot. And Kasdan is like, tone is everything to me. And he goes, it's what movies are made of. And I don't disagree. It was, but there was a very complicated situation. He goes, when you go to work in the morning on a Star Wars movie, there are thousands of people waiting for you and you have to be decisive and very quick about it. When you're making those split second decisions and there's like a million a day, he goes on. You're committing to a certain tone. And if the producers think that isn't the tone of the movie, you're going to have trouble. And I believe, you know, the report suggested Lord Miller had just gone overboard with improvisation. They weren't getting the tone of what the script was to be. So I found that to be very uh, fascinating. You know, they, they film like, what, three quarters of the movie? It's somewhere. I don't think we'll ever see it on blu-ray like they'll never we'll never see it but it would be interesting to see how different and how they perceived the Gazden script yeah i mean it's right up there with eric stoltz as marty mcfly you've seen like a few seconds of it but you right. they, you know even though the, the movie was largely filmed they're just like you know what out of respect to the people who were let go let's just not put it out there but I, I don't know. I think that it's a lot different making a Star Wars movie than making 21 Jump Street. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and I think that people are very critical that Disney will do a lot of these sort of things where they'll replace directors. You know, the one of the biggest being Edgar Wright on Ant-Man. And it's like, but it's it's their product. It's their vision. And you're there to do what they want. And if the collaboration doesn't work, then that's why they, they go separate ways. Sometimes the director leaves. Sometimes the director gets asked to leave. But I think that bringing in Ron Howard, people are very critical of that. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Ron Howard has right. made great movies. He's he's going to make his day. He's going to have the, the what's on the page is going to be caught by the camera. And what else do you need? And I, I think he did a great job. Yeah, and Ron Howard, too, no uh, no stranger to fantasy. It was great to see Willow. Yes. Movie, right? <laughs> it's Willow. Uh, but it was great to see him because he's also so much part of the Star Wars family anyways. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and Ron Howard's no stranger to filming Westerns either. So that made sense to me. Um, you know, in, in credit to Lord Miller, uh, they really have taken the high road above you know in the entire thing you know they were interviewed not too long ago they were at a convention and they said you know it was an amazing learning experience for us we were honored to have been part of it and to work with that cast and crew to be part of a star wars movie uh at the end of the day we understand we learned from it and we're going to be we're going to be better filmmakers because of our experience in solo i appreciate that I appreciate that taking a high road and that self-introspection that they have. So Yeah, and it's not the first time that movies have changed directors at mid-process. We we see it all the time. And and beginning in production, middle of production, it happens a lot. And reshoots. I mean, uh 
uh, World War Z is, is, is infamous for its entire third act reshoot, which a lot of that third act is on the Blu-ray, which I think was very bold to put on there. So you can sort of see what they were going for and how they changed it. And sometimes reshoots can make a project better. So um, going back to the writing, I think that, uh, of course, Kasdan knew the tone that they wanted and how they wanted to proceed solo. And I, th- for me, I felt the tone was... This is this. It's a solo movie that, yeah, this is this is the tone it should be. Yeah, I don't want to get fun. bogged down in the Last Jedi, but <clears throat> what was missing was the feeling I had for this movie, and mm-hmm. it wasn't. You know, you talk about the smile on your face. Smile on your face isn't there nearly enough in the Last Jedi. This, I think, is like, yeah, this is what I want, and what I like about these side stories. Well, although I guess uh, Rogue One was about something very important, but. This is like, you know what, it's not always the fate of the galaxy hangs in the balance. It's like, no, there's just some guys trying to, you know, basically make a quick buck and they're dealing with gangsters or whatever. It's like, it's a Western. I like that. I like the smaller stories. I like that everything isn't always like, oh, my God, we got we to gotta save everything. And it's like, no, we're just saving ourselves, really. And, you know, and then there's a little hint of rebellion at the end, which I think is sure. fitting for Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, Whereas you no, were going to say. I, I completely agree. And then I like how this is, a, you can, in a sense, be isolate this film from a lot of things. It is, in a way, self-contained. Not to, we'll get to the spoiler at the end. But individually, like aside from everything, this, this really plays off by itself. It, its own story. You can understand everything. You don't, we, we got brand new characters, but we knew who they were. Right. We, we don't see how they're tied to anything else. No. Um, just like the the characters in Rogue One, it was kind of standalone, and they had their characters that d- didn't play a bigger part in the later film. So, like in a way, I liked how this film, as simple as it was, it was very isolated, self contained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I I at least appreciate how these characters now. Well, I'll put it this way: going forward, watching this the original trilogy of Star Wars movies with Han Solo. Knowing that these characters were a part of his life, where, where he came from, I think it adds to him now. Now I, I have a little bit of that backstory, which I found to be fascinating and fun. And they didn't <clears throat> need to delve into darkness because why? There's just no need to. Han Solo is a smuggler with a heart. He's always that roguish guy. That's why Leia fell in love with him. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to skip the three I'm years of man. atrocities that he saw as an enlisted man in the Imperial Navy, you know, yes. which I was I love that as a as a plot point, just like, I got to get out of here. Okay, I'm going to enlist. You know, I, I don't care what they believe in. I know that they're but it's like, I got to get out of here. And I, I thought that that was great. And I don't know if that was something that was established in, you know, whether it's canon or not. I don't know that I knew that he had ever served. So I kind of liked that. I was like, oh, this is a really interesting thing about the character that I never imagined that, you know, he actually was in the military at some point. I I, I like that, too. I want to bring something up because this has actually got, there's been debate about this, Um, when he enlists. And he's, what's your last name? (laughs) And it's an Imperial officer who comes up with Solo, right? I felt it was clever, I liked it. I had no beef with it whatsoever, but a lot of people had beef with this. Let's throw it to the panel. What did you guys think? I, I agree with you 100%. I'm like, oh, that's fun. That's really cool. But I then after found out, like people were like, that's so stupid. That It's like, I don't know. He didn't have a last name. So uh, I don't know. I thought it was funny. 
And I liked it. It's kind of a nice little explanation. I don't understand. Well, I guess I should understand why people get upset because people get upset about everything. But I thought it was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't think? mind it. It added to the character and, and just solidified the title. Yeah. I, I just felt that one of the things that I, you, I sort of picked up about the character is that he really did feel alone. He didn't want to take... if. He he probably had a family name. He just didn't want to be associated with it, you know. And if his father was a shipbuilder, because yeah. that was another little nugget I was that mention I thought that. was yeah. cool too. Maybe the Empire would recognize that. And they, I don't know because Corellia. I thought it was really cool to see the the Star Destroyers yes. being built. like they had these little touches as a Star Wars fan. I was like, oh, that's cool. So it didn't bother me that he said. You know what? I, I don't have a last name. He goes, oh, you by yourself. I, I thought it was a fun way to give him Solo, Han Solo. And it makes sense and for... And he took it. Sorry. And it makes no. sense for his character, who's been essentially, quote-unquote, living off the street, that he wouldn't have an established <clears throat> name or family name or surname for him. So, yeah, he, he is so independent. Mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah, I. it didn't bother me in the least. And then I started reading about it. I'm like going, why? <laughs> but... As you said, anything that happens in a movie like this, there will be someone that's upset about it. Yeah, and they speak loud. Yes, they, they, they talk. They're, very they're loudly. louder than ever. They're louder than maybe ever. Maybe some so. of them are in our chat right now. I don't know. I maybe I hope not. I mean, no. I, I, we can't not be the only people showing love, uh, you know, for this movie uh, because I really think that it was a lot of fun. So much so that I too, I saw it within three days of each other. I, I went and saw it again, and I have to say, for a second viewing. It held up very well, if not even a little bit better, because all the surprises were out of the way, so I was able to just watch it. I always like to see a movie, you know, from like a, like a Marvel mm-hmm. movie, Star Wars movie, I always like to see it a second time, because the first time, I'm just like, too like, yeah, but what happens next? But what happens next? What happens next? So when I can relax and be like, oh, there's other parts coming up, and let yeah. me enjoy what's here right now, yeah. you know, and then... Yeah, I don't know. And it was just like, oh, the part with the capes is coming up. I'm going to laugh again. Yeah, so, I'm going to laugh you know, again. I, yeah. I always like to get, if I get the time, I like to see a movie second time still in the theater. Yeah, and, and let's talk about, too, from a story perspective. And we're going to get to the twist, uh, what that means in the Star Wars galaxy. But, I, you know, the, the important thing between, of all the Star Wars movies, starting with Star Wars Empire Jedi, is the relationship between Han and Chewie. Even in the Christmas special. Han has to bring Chewie back to Kashyyyk for Life Day. <laughs> but it's a it's a relationship that it's a really great they finish they can finish each other's sentences almost. And it was interesting. I was wondering if they were going to bring up this life debt thing because that's how this friendship yeah. started in a sense. But they still had the theme of slavery, the freedom of the slavery. Um I really I bought into it. I, I was like, okay. It, this is it. This is how Chewbacca was a slave. Uh, of course, there was no big, like, it wasn't a twist. When they threw him in the pit and you heard the beast and the growl, it's like, oh, this is going to be Chewy. I uh, thought it was great. Again, I'm not smart enough. I thought it was going to be like a, a, like a rancor, rancor or something. <laughs> right. I was just like, all right. And then I'm like, oh, it's Chewy. That makes so much sense. See, so you have the rancor. Yeah. I have Lando. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I thought the rancor. I was like, this is like Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Which is which was fine. But I like this because it shows that uh, um, he he was fighting to save his life against the, that they didn't just start off as friends. It had to be a relationship that was built throughout in, in this film. We and have to work like together that. to get out of this. Yeah. And, 
Yeah, I, I liked it too. My my only, I guess, my, my slight criticism is when Chewie's throwing him around that room. Any normal human being's back would have been broken. Yes, I mean the force in which he was throwing him, and when he when he threw him up, that was great. He just goes flying up and down. I really like that. But that's going to bring me to another point of controversy. Okay, so then we have the touching moment when they're on that on the ship, um, going towards you know just prior to the to the, the train, train robbery. Heist, yeah. And they have this dialogue, and well, so what's your name? He's like, Chewbacca. Chewbacca? No, we're going to have to come up with a nickname for that. You know, I can't be calling you Chewbacca. And it was cemented to me that, A, they were going to be together. They were going to be partners. And people were talking, well, that's a stupid way for him to get a, a nickname. I'm like, is it really? I didn't think so. To me, it was very organic. Of course it's going to call him Chewie. <laughs> like, yeah, it, I don't understand. Well, what are people complaining about? It's established that he calls him Chewie. Yeah. So <laughs> why would you call him Chewie? Oh, because you don't want to say Chewbacca all the time. I, I don't know. I thought it's another cute moment. It is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Baseball players. <laughs> they, they give baseball players nicknames <laughs> for the same reason. And, and by the way, the, just because we're talking about this portion of the film, uh, I think the first thing that I really liked – that we saw Alden do is when he started speaking Wookiee. I, I, was, I was like already mostly won over at that point. And I liked that he didn't speak it well and the subtitles reflected yes, the fact yeah. that he... And she was like, all right, I get it. This guy's a little bit of an idiot. But, uh, but I know what he's saying, yeah. <laughs> At least he's attempting. Yeah, and I liked how uh, Han was like, yeah, I speak a little. <laughs> we are like, oh, so it makes sense of how he can understand Chewie and like really no one else can. And he used the word moof milker again. Which is a force <laughs> awakens. Um, yeah, I, I really, as again, as a Star Wars fan and, and reading some of the, well, they're no longer canon, but even some of the Star Wars solo Han Solo, there's a great Han Solo comic that's out uh, that Marvel um, made. But I really enjoyed the beginnings of this relationship, you know, um, and I thought they tied it in just perfectly. And again, I thought they they got the tone right. We have to work together for a cause. And when he, um, oh, and how he becomes co-pilot. Yeah. Everything was, to me, it felt organic. Yeah. Nothing felt for, like, we know the end, but it's how do we get there and make it seem sort of kind of fresh. Right, and I think that's for all the people who say, like, well, why do we need a Han Solo prequel movie? And it's like, well, because I know where it goes. It's like, yeah, but I'm kind of interested to see how we get there. It has little things like that. And I know it was in the trailer, and we all saw it a bunch of times, but I do love the interactions. You're 190 years old? You look great. You look great. And I was just like, I think that that's funny, too. It's just the, like, Chewie's like, oh, I know how to do all this stuff. You just didn't ask me to. Yeah. Like, I'm a great pilot. I'm a great co-pilot. So yeah. uh, I, I think that the Han Chewie relationship is so important to this movie working. You know, Han's pining away for Kira, but really the person that he needs to spend the rest of his life with is right there next to him, yeah. Chewbacca. And, and it's funny because even Kira recognizes, like, go to your friend, he needs you. And you're going to need him. I think that was him. a great moment in the, in the movie. Because, yeah, it was a cool yeah. moment. It was, a, it was a really cool moment. And it was good, you know, it's good to see Chewbacca. And, and, and again, any good... You know, hero in a Western has a good friend, you know, to, to, to back him up, so to speak. So, well, why don't we get into, do we want to talk about anything else prior to we get into the 
Well, we already talked about one twist. We're going to talk about the other big surprise guest appearance in this movie. Yes. Spoiler. Spoiler. I mean, we said spoilers at the beginning of the show. And I, Marissa's, Marissa's interacting in the chat a little bit, I saw her. And it, yeah. it's, it, it's like if you, if you haven't seen the movie, you shouldn't be watching a show like this just yet. You should wait till you see it. Because we told you at the beginning that there's spoilers. I did say that, but right? we, Yes, yeah. you did. Right, yeah. Okay, okay. And if you hadn't, I, I'm sure Marissa and I would have been like, so anyway, oh, spoilers. Spoiler. You were very okay. clear. We're waving our hands. And, yeah, and we're saying right. it again because of a big surprise yeah. that things that we would have been spoiled spoiler alert yes. spoiler alert <laughs> things that would have that been spoiled up to now are just more like little little like oh interesting story things right. but mm-hmm. a major reveal is now something that we will talk yeah, about yeah we're going to talk about and it, to to the viewer or viewers uh, sorry i mean I, you know i don't want to ruin the the, the experience if anything i hope it enhances your experience cuz now you can pick things out but you're going to want to click off now because this was really this one caught me off guard completely i was not expecting it not at all not at all uh i thought it was handled really cool uh as a Star Wars, so we'll just get into because it because we're we're spoiling everything we're, so. so crimson dawn is the is the western crime syndicate here and we find out that 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 Bettany's character is not the real Bad guy, but he he's to answer to someone else. And when we find he's that reveal, he's the middleman. He's, yeah. he, well, he he's middle management. He's, <laughs> I'm like, oh, he he's, he's the Dwight Schrute of this organization. <laughs> <laughs> but and but and, and here's the thing: it ends up being none other than Darth Maul. And when she starts communicating and we hear the voice, I'm like, okay, so she's talking to the Emperor. I get it. That's what I thought. Like, of course, yeah, yeah. We got it. Emperor's so got a hand then, in everything. Yep. And then I'm like. That's not the emperor, <laughs> dude. That was the same. Yeah, way. and look, I know that he's alive. Yeah, he's it, alive in uh, first Clone Wars and Rebels, Rebels, but I still don't expect things like that. Even though they've been very clear that they do consider those things to be canon, I just didn't expect that we would actually see him. And when we did, we're like, I'm like. Oh, I had a friend that I I told to see it because I knew that no matter what he thought about the rest of the movie, he was going to be so excited about Darth Maul, and I was right. And it's just such a cool reveal because it's a character that he looks great and he's so awesome, and then they kill him right away in uh, Phantom Menace, and you're like, could have really used some more adventures with him. So I'm glad that at least the potential is there that mm-hmm. we'll see him. Not even necessarily in another solo movie. It right. just means that we can see him in some other, ex- you know, expanded uh, standalone Star Wars movie. Right. Yeah, and there were some hints to Crimson Dawn. He's red. He's <laughs> red. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> makes yeah. sense. You're like, oh, duh. Of course, it had to be. Um, and I liked it because Malford Phantom Menace as awful as people think that movie is whatever he was a great villain in, in menace and he's a good villain in rebels and in clone wars so it's it's cool to see him back i don't mind the fact that they brought back maul at all because he is an iconic character just within popular culture within the stand, uh, star wars canon right it's cool to see him back because you're I like agree. crap what what else is he gonna do now we we have to watch out for him i agree and again it what I really liked about his inclusion in this is that it's a real shock uh, to everybody, but to those who don't follow Star Wars as a Star Wars fan, like say, you know, you only watch the movies, right? You don't read the books, you don't see the comic books, you've never seen Clone Wars and or Rebels, you're just watching the movies, so you haven't seen Darth Maul in almost for twenty, almost twenty years, right. yeah. yeah. So when it shows up, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> 
<laughs> like, whoa. So, and, and again, this is what I respected about this movie is that they really played to everybody, not just the, the, the diehards or the nitpick for fans. Like, again, if you've only stayed, and there are people, that, and I would say they're a majority. A lot of these people, they've watched the movies and have enjoyed them. And I thought it was really good. It, it's interesting about the timeline that this falls in. Because we know, like, if again, just bringing Rebels in a little bit, Obi-Wan faces off again, you know, with him. Uh, he, he, he eventually meets his demise. But I like how he is now part of this crime syndicate. And it's not the Empire. And that was fascinating to me. I loved how, too, if you're... If you watch, like his lower half was all mechanical, yeah, the mechanical legs. Yeah. Yeah. And then when he does this, and that new lightsaber pops in, and he's like, "You and I are going to be working together a lot more closely." And you just saw gulp. Yeah, and and again to reinforce the point that there'll always be someone that complains about everything. This movie was like, "Well, why did he turn on his lightsaber?" And I read some quotes from Ron Howard that they filmed it a few different ways, and they looked at it and they were like, "You know what? It, it just it needs a little something extra." And it's just like. He's making the point to Kira, like, you know, just uh, in case you forget, uh, I'm in charge and I have this badass lightsaber. So uh, see you soon. I think I think it was a great little punctuation on the conversation. I love that he turned on his lightsaber. Oh, me too. I would have been disappointed if he didn't. I, that right. I would have been one of the people See, complaining. I would have been like, why didn't he put on his lightsaber? If, if they, I know, because the, that's the thing. With, with When we were first introduced to Maul and Phantom Menace, when they showed his double-edged sword, oh. we were like, what the <laughs> hell? That's awesome. Yeah. It, was like, yeah. it, it was like a completely establishing a completely different lightsaber sword that we've never seen before. Right. So it, that itself became iconic. So I was like, yeah, we have to see it again if we get him back. Yeah, and if you're going to go through the trouble of having him force grab his lightsaber, you better well freaking turn it on. Because I would have been like you. I would have been like, why dad turn it on? I wanted to see it. So um, it was very interesting. So he is Crimson Dawn. And and whether or not you know, we'll, we'll talk about Legacy of Han Solo and if they make more sequels and I don't want to theorize, but it's this is going to be a very fascinating if they make a two and a three as to how Crimson Dawn um, further directs Han Solo's path. But we already see. He's really no love of the Empire. Yeah. Right? I think serving is what reminded him. Like, these guys don't know what they're doing. You know, it's as with anything. It's just like there's a lot of bureaucracy. And he's even trying to question mm-hmm. his his leaders, uh, you know, the, the generals or whatever. And he's just like, yeah, but why are we going that way? Yeah. It's like, all right, well, you're clearly not suited to be in the military right. if you're going to ask why. <laughs> my, my favorite, My favorite line in that scene is like, well, it's their planet, sir. Aren't we the hostiles? <laughs> I thought that was a really yeah, that great was line. great actually. And yeah. again, it's just it's to me that's that's the Kasdan punch. So, um, but Darth Maul in this movie, I it was it was like a whoa. I was like okay, yeah, I'm in. And like, I think whoa. yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was uh, I totally bought into it, and it also made though too. Kira's situation, like, I got the sense that Kira was forced into a situation to get off of Corellia and that she had to make some, she was forced to make some decisions 
that weren't morally just. And I think that the character understood this. And now she sees herself getting a little bit deeper into it. To survive, she has to. And you just, like, the gulp moment where she's like, shit, what am I going to do? Like, she's like, okay. And I thought it was, I thought it was a, a rather touching moment, too, when Han's like, Come on, we gotta go. She goes, well, I gotta pick up some more trinkets. I'm right behind you. And then when you see that yacht going by, I love that shot from down looking Just at Han, Han and Chewie looking up. And, and, she, yeah. and, and he's like, yeah. Okay, I got yeah. Chewie. You know? Yeah. So uh, I wanna talk a little bit about cinematography because, Marissa, you brought this up uh, earlier. And I think, it's, I think it's very important in this movie. This movie really looked good, and I and I've seen it uh, on on a premium large format screen. I saw it in XD both times. It looked very solid. I felt um, just from its its landscapes, the lighting on it, particularly when we're in the desert, uh, and in those shots, those iconic staple shots that make a western a western. To your point, the blaster. And un- unlocking it, stuff like that. The way they frame, well, another favorite scene is the way they framed uh, when Han Solo first meets Lando. And again, it's it's through his le- through his legs. And, you know, Lando's playing cards. But it's that Western where the hero walks into a bar and there's the sort of villain, the other scoundrel. The only I, thing missing were the swinging saloon doors the, the, when he the, walked that in. That was it? That was it? <laughs> I really felt that the cinematography in this movie was, I thought it was great. I thought they did a really good job. This Bradford Young, who's worked with, with Ron Howard before, I thought he got the lighting. They, they got the Western down, and they made it a space Western, too. So I enjoyed the various landscapes uh, in the mountains. Uh, I like the winter or the yeah, cold I was going to say the, the snow, the <clears throat> desert that you referenced, and sort of the the more jungle planet that we see towards the end, where he finally sits down with Lando again. And uh, this, when I saw it the second time, I saw it in 3D, and I'm not a huge advocate of 3D. I did think this time it actually looked great, and there the uh, cinematography was so rich that sort of the layered way that 3D works. It was actually really cool the, the, you know, to kind of look past and into the background. So I think that the, uh, the 3D actually really worked. Uh, I, I'll always say save your money, don't see something in 3D. But if you do see it in 3D, you will get a little something extra. The only reason why I didn't see it in 3D is it just wasn't fitting into, into the times that I saw it. But you brought up cinematography. Uh, yeah, so what, did you, what, what are your thoughts? Like, I mean, this movie looked I really right. like the color palette. Um, mm-hmm. For the most part, it was like the cold blue, saturated in, in some senses. I like the establishment of the different systems. Um, yeah. From his his home planet of... Quote, Corellia? Yeah, I'm going to butcher it. Corellia. Um, very, uh, uh, very city, very dark and dirty drag um, and color palette. But then when we like shift from system to system, and especially the, the train sequence was amazing. That was fun to watch. And like they each each planet had a different look and environment and feel. Yeah. And just and it helped with the tone. Yeah. I felt so, you know, I feel the same way. I want to talk a little bit about the train robbery because it looked great. We had a very interesting train and train track. This was not your normal monorail system, (laughs) right? So, again, harkens back to things like the great train robbery. I even saw 
I even saw a little bit of Firefly in this movie, particularly with that that the big crew. Firefly, Jazz Whedon's always said, was took place in the western border, right? You had marauders in Firefly, so I liked how you had the marauders here, the pirates. Um, but that train heist scene was done, and again, it had that serial-like quality because they were always running into a problem, and then the train would flip. Like, that's... The, that, that was That's cool. That was seen. really cool, yeah. right? And then, uh, as a Star Wars nerd, I loved that the <clears throat> snow troopers that we saw were different than the ones in Empire Strikes Back. They right. had sort of like a little bit more fur, and so then I'm then the thought in my head is, must be colder than Hoth down there. They need a little bit. They need a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, I did like that with the stormtroopers. There was a line at the beginning of the film, and they're trying to leave the quote unquote airport or wherever transport place yeah. that they are. And one of the stormtroopers was like, "Carry on, carry on." Carry on. I was like, "I wonder if that's the same one." <laughs> carry on, <laughs> carry on. That's kind of a lot. Of, a large part of your job as a stormtrooper, just carry on. Carry it's on. like yeah. nothing to see here. Go yeah. on, folks. And then the propaganda art <laughs> yeah. too exactly. was like really interesting. Um, you know, and, and Darth Maul being in this, I didn't, you know, if, if that character had turned out to be the emperor, right? Cause I felt the same way I would have been, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that the emperor is not in this, I was like, even better. I, it, it, I like the fact that we, we, hopefully won't get the Emperor or even Darth Vader. To me, it makes this more standalone in the growth of Han Solo. Uh, he, he, he enlisted in the Empire. Uh, we know that there's an Emperor, but we didn't see the Emperors not pulling the strings on this story as of yet. But in this movie, no. And so that's what made Darth Maul even more of the surprise with the reveal. So I also like just the, the establishment of the Empire and how Han knows mm. their their process, their work process. Because there was while I was rewatching Empire again for the million time, it never really put two and two together. I was like, oh yeah, he knows how the Empire works. He knows their system. Yeah. And uh, especially is like against the Empire Protocol. They'll they release all the trash and we'll just float over yeah. with them. I was like, how does he know that? And then knowing now that he used to work for the Empire is like, ah, that's how he can outmaneuver him every time. That knowledge did lead to a funny move, moment in the film where he's like, eh, that's alright, they're not going to send a TIE fighter out after, after a freighter. <laughs> and then they send like six. <laughs> and it, so I thought that that was a great moment. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, oh, Han still has a lot of things to learn as well represented by him saying, I have a good feeling about this. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, you'll see. <laughs> but, you know, the other, the other cool thing of, of that scene too, well, let's talk a little we haven't talked. We have to talk the Kessel Run, right? Yeah. So we have, and we have to talk about the punchline yes. to the whole Kessel Run. Yes, of course. So, of course, like so, Han truly is a great pilot, which leads into Empire Strikes Back, going through the 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 um, asteroid field, right? Which seemed to be almost similar to the Kessel Run. What's yeah. going on there? He has experience. <laughs> he has experience, and um, but yeah, I really enjoyed. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed the Kessel Run, how they presented it. I liked it better the second time around because I was able to at least take it all in. The first time things were happening, I'm so focused. I was trying to get a geography of what, what the hell is this Kessel Run. And I always seem to forget the Spice Mines of Kessel, that, that 3PO. Yes. Says in the opening minutes, moments of Star Wars, you know, we'll be thrown back to the Spice Mines of Kessel for sure. 
and how it all interweaves into our beautiful galaxy far, far away. But I liked the the Kessel Run and how it was interpreted for this movie. Yeah, I think it was great that we got <laughs> to see it. I mean, I think that's one of those things that when you think there's going to be a, a standalone Han Solo prequel, you're like, well, I hope we get to see stuff like that. You know, there's a part of me that would have liked to have seen Jabba, but fortunately he's he's referenced in passing. He's referenced. Yeah, which I'm like, okay, that's good. That's good enough. And uh, But, of course, as you said, the punchline for the Kessel Run, which is great because Chewie, you know, after he says, like, oh, hey, Kessel Run 12 parts, and Chewie says something, he's like, well, you know, I rounded down, right. which I thought was great. I thought that was so great. funny. And, 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 and when you think about it, he did sort of kind of cheat. <laughs> That's true. He, he put an additive into his fuel. Yeah, he put an additive into his fuel, and he threw he flew through something you're not supposed to fly through. Right. Yes. <laughs> but of course, it's Han Solo. Yeah, I, I buy it. But it makes the line even more iconic oh, than absolutely. it already is. You've uh, never heard of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and the, the capabilities of the Millennium Falcon is probably worth at least mentioning in passing. L three, who we didn't uh, talk sure. about, the fact that. Yeah. That gives us a great explanation of how the Falcon really is has an intelligence that I think is not well established in the Star Wars universe. That it's common, you know. I don't think they have a lot of artificial intelligence in there. They just have a little navigation computer. But this is like a really sophisticated, high tech thing. And I think that was the best part of the backstory of Lando was that he had this attachment to yeah. this droid. And when I was talking about this yesterday on my personal podcast, Shameless Plug, the Blackcast. Uh, <laughs> It was pointed out that when they do run into each other again in Empire, Lando says, how are you treating my girl? And right. sure, you're talking about the ship, but also that's his girl, L3. Right. And it's like, I love little things like that when it adds a little weight to something that's already come before. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I had a conversation with a friend. He's like, you know what? I'm over, I'm over like sarcastic droids and blah, blah, blah. I go, I get it. But I felt that L337 had much more of a better role that led to something than, what was it, K2SO? Yeah. And in and, and at least, yes, because she is the Nava computer. And so whenever I hear that sound now, I can equate it to something. And the Nava computer is so important, you know. You know, going through hyperspace ain't like Dustin Crop's boy. <laughs> and now you understand. And to your point about like Empire, yeah, she was a surly droid standing up for female droids and females all over the Just galaxy. Droids all around. And I like and, how and her character are, yeah. was like kind of speaking to today's days of just. Silver rights. Yeah. We kind of need that. Equality everywhere. Don't be a slave. (laughs) When Lando asks, can I get you anything? Equal rights. rights. It's like, you know, and and I know this is a character, again, because there are always people who are upset. This is a character that people don't like, but I'm like, look, annoying droids are what Star Wars is built on. I mean, we meet C-3PO in the first couple minutes. I love C-3PO. Is there a more annoying character in the Star Wars universe than C-3PO? I don't think so. Never tell me the odds. Well, he always tells you the odds. Shut him up or shut him down. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, uh, I don't know. I think that uh, this was a a good character in the vein of all the great droids of Star Wars. And there's the added punch that she helps helps the Millennium Falcon be a great ship. There's a purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There ends up being like even her 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 death. There's a purpose to it. It's not that she's just surly and this and dies. She becomes a part of the lore, and I enjoyed. Again, it's just that detail that I, that the Kasdans wrote in this 
that make sense. Much like the dice, you know, the, the right. hanging dice, which are in the movie Star Wars for like two seconds. Yeah. You see those hanging <laughs> dice for two seconds in that movie. <laughs> And and they become a major, uh, they become like a a, a a major prop. But I, I enjoyed Phoebe Waller Bridges' uh, voicing of L three three seven. She did not annoy me, and I think mostly because she had a purpose. She and then, and she's the Nava computer, so I liked it. And and I liked how they equated the sound to it. So turning it on, it's like oh okay, I like that. Yep, it was good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. Good sound design, and, and it's a great callback to everything we've known about the Millennium Falcon. Let's talk a little bit about that ship, <laughs> right? You have Just to, because, <laughs> well, I wasn't a fan. Like, the first time you see it in promotions, you're like, what the what the hell is in that middle? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are they doing? Like, why? <laughs> That's not the ship. And and I like how they got rid of it, but it's it's explained as being a life pod. Or an escape pod for, yeah. for, for Lando. And Hans, what do you mean an escape pod for? <laughs> well, now we know what it can be used for. I liked how we showed... That's how they smuggle gleaming. stuff. That's how they, I like how they showed a gleaming on the inside Millennium Falcon and Han walking into it. And the again, to me, the backstory was so important about... My dad used to build these ships... Yeah, I'm familiar with. Like he felt a bond, like the second he walked on and into the cockpit, and that to me was that that was cool. Yeah, I think it's very cool, and I love when we first see the Millennium Falcon. You're like, oh, it looks different. I'm like, oh man, Han is just gonna beat the hell out of that thing at some point in this movie. Like you're like, I can't wait. And yeah, because Lando with his whole look, he's like. Look, he used the ship, and it's, it's established he's a great smuggler. I think he doesn't do a lot of risky maneuvers because that thing was in such great shape. It's like his capes. You know, it's like everything's immaculate for Lando Calrissian. And if you want to live the kind of life that Han Solo does, sometimes you're going to knock off the, the, the satellite dish. Sometimes you're going to lose a gun, you know? And it's like, we'll get, him, we'll get new ones. It's fine. Uh, but uh, I thought that it was so much fun to see it for the first time and then just see the way that, you know, Han treated it like a bumper car, basically. Well, he, treated, he always treats the Millennium Falcon with love, but it's interesting to me because I question how much Lando, Lando actually owned the ship because they had to break into, not only did they have to break into a shipyard to get it, if it's your ship, why are you breaking into your own garage, so to speak? And then, and then, and, but how did he know it got him? Pounded, and then they break into a shipyard, and then it's booted. <laughs> and, and he didn't know that it was booted. Yeah, uh, so I was like, I, I was like his explanation of, uh, you know, I just had to lock it up because uh, you know you never know what's going to happen these days. Right. Yeah. Can't trust this neighborhood, basically. Right. Yeah, I thought that was very yeah. Funny. And 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 again, I as a fan, you see the evolution of the Falcon, mm-hmm. and and the Falcon. It, it, it's so fascinating. Because Luke Skywalker's very first words in Star Wars when he sees it, he goes, what a piece of junk. Now, as a movie viewer, we don't know what a piece of junk in this universe, for the first time watching Star Wars, we don't know what a piece of junk looks like. So when I see the Millennium Falcon, I was like... That's a piece of junk. I always that thought that as a cool. kid. I'm like, because I, you know, I was I was lucky enough that I had a Millennium Falcon. I'm like, right. no, Millennium Falcon is awesome. I don't it's know what cool. Luke is talking about. Yeah. Your X-wing is stupid, Luke. But I was just like, yeah. But it's like, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. Okay, I get it. You know, yeah. now what forty. 
one years later, we finally get what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, and they even made a great joke about it in Force Awakens. Yeah. What about that ship? Nah, it's garbage. Oh, garbage <laughs> it is. And it's the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. It's great line of Jedi. They hate that ship. <laughs> um, so, but I, I, and I loved how they jettisoned that escape pod, life pod. And then we get the ship that we love, all shiny white. It's like a, it's like the person who gets the brand new sneakers and doesn't don't step on my new shoes. <laughs> so yeah. that was one when the Falcon <laughs> so with it with like comes up. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's such an iconic uh, ship in, in, in popular <clears throat> culture as well. But I also liked uh, you, you mentioned the evolution, but the the little things that were also in it, like the the compartments and also the game, the chess, yes. the chess game, <laughs> and, and how you can still see Chewbacca still doesn't like losing, and he still hasn't gotten the concept of thinking <laughs> right. after all those years, he still doesn't like, and he it. still tries to grab for them, which I <laughs> thought I thought was great. Yeah, grand. yeah, I, I loved like you're saying, Marissa, the compartments and the game, and just sort of <laughs> seeing the different areas, and you know the. Little touches, you're like, oh, the seats have like these yellow cushions on them. Well, at some point, right. they're gonna have to get those out for right. whatever reason. Right. So I thought it was, uh, I thought it was great. The ship uh, is just, a character in it. Yeah, itself. absolutely, it absolutely, it's, and literally because it has it has L three inside of it, which you know, right. it was even right. before this movie. The Millennium Falcon was always a character. But these people itself. wouldn't be anywhere without the Falcon. <laughs> no, that's the true. Guys. And 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 to that point, for a western, it's 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 our cowboy's horse. Uh, when George Lucas wrote the original Star Wars and he was writing the Han Solo character, uh, not only taking from Westerns, but Lucas himself was a car guy and and, and he grew up. I mean, American, American Graffiti. American Graffiti is, is, yeah. is, is... So it was the fast car. It was the car to beat. It was the ship to beat uh, in a galaxy far, far away. So it, it has always been a great character. Um, and whether or not he's going to, like, she's going to start up on time <laughs> or it's not my fault. It's not my fault. You know? Um, and it seems like it was the first time that Han has ever experienced the jump to hyperspace. Yeah. Like, he didn't know what to do with himself. He's like, oh, it has that feature? Cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because however he got to be a great pilot, which there's always questions about, you know, how exactly you get to be a great pilot when you never leave the planet. (laughs) Anakin as well. How did he get to be such a great pilot as as a little boy? Well, I guess pod racing. But and then he never would have done the jump to hyperspace if he never left Corellia, because obviously you can't. You have to leave your world to do it. So I think. Uh, he's like, well, I'm a great pilot, but oh, this is new. So I think it's a and, nice little touch. Yeah, yeah, and did the Empire had a bit of a hand? I mean, he he started off in flight school yeah, before he got kicked true. out for not listening or taking <laughs> orders, right? Which makes sense. Definitely um, makes and, sense. And he gets put into the infantry. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit too about music, but John Powell. Uh, I have the soundtrack, and I found that the music here was very interesting. Um, and and John Williams collaborated and did the Han Solo theme, which is fascinating to me because, you know, John Williams is so well known. Um, I mean, not just from for, from a recognizability factor, but one of his strengths is when he's doing a a, um, a score, he writes themes, which is very rare today. There are themes in Star Wars, Princess Leia's theme, uh, the Imperial March. We can equate certain things to to what he writes as music, and he never had a Han Solo theme. 
which is interesting, being that he's worked pretty much in all the Star Wars movies. But he has had the... I felt that John Powell lifted from things like Empire Strikes Back, um, mm-hmm. the asteroid belt, which he's he got a touch the of the Kissinger. Empire theme. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, a touch of a it. A touch of the Darth Vader theme, the theme in there. Yeah, they they bit. touch yeah. on some of the familiar yeah. themes. You he know, the, there's the theme in the Falcon. That's the same you know theme from the original Star Wars right. when they're shooting the Tie Fighters. The, the, the Tie Fighter yeah. fight. Yeah, yeah. So and and it's good because it's like yeah. that. Those are the moments that you want. Yeah. And when you get that score, you're like, yes, this yeah. fits perfectly. This is what I want yeah. here. Yeah. And he has a uh, Powell has a proclivity for percussion um which there's a lot of percussion uh throughout the the soundtrack if you listen to it on its own uh the marauders which i thought was interesting too he uses like a choir um when we're when they're introduced into this movie uh again nice twist i felt with the marauder the leader being that young girl um but i liked the marauders and what they eventually what we learned them to be they they are pirates but they're rob they're they're, they're, they're more staring. like robin hood right. mm-hmm. and by the way when the mask came off i'm like all right so who is this supposed to be I knew i'm trying to recognize this character i'm like Okay, no, it's just the reveal is that it's a woman. It's but a I was like, I was like really trying to place the character, and I'm like, is is it a young Mon Mothma? And I'm like, no, it's not that. <laughs> I'm trying to fit anybody that it could possibly be, yeah, and I then of the course way. it's not. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the fact that it was a woman because yes, this is a quote unquote old story and trilogy. Now, well, I mean, it's an individual, but like it's an old franchise that we're very familiar. But it's in today's age and. Hollywood just in itself is gearing more towards stronger women, independent mm-hmm. women. And I'm like, and I like the touch that they, not to say twist, but the reveal that it was a woman. I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's, like ex- that's exactly where our industry is heading to give females a better role. I liked it too. And she has that great line that, you know, why don't you join us? Like, we could use. Your skills, like you're a good captive. Like we could do. Nah, I'm gonna. Go yeah, and like his head. answer is just a non-answer. He just kind of looks at Chewie and he just shrugs. He doesn't even have like a quick like, yeah, this isn't my fight. You know, he doesn't yeah. say something, try to be pointing. He's just like, nah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then uh, there's always the nods to the future of like, well, yeah. maybe one day you'll feel differently. Yeah, <laughs> like you're right. I doubt that, right, yeah. Chewie? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's yeah. go. Let's go to Tatooine. <laughs> oh, irony. <laughs> so, um, what else? Are we missing anything else in production that 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 was interesting? Marissa, I'm going to throw to you um, if there's something like, that we just missed. Just so we know, it had a high production budget. Hoofa. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of really there's a lot of uh, debate in the chat as to whether it was two fifty or three hundred million. Yeah, and we right. know there were a lot of reshoots as well. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, um, again, in uh, th- there is an article uh, in Variety about this as well. So, so two fifty um, looks to be the production budget, um, with a hundred and fifty being spent on hard drives and advertising. So that brings the total cum to, if my math is correct, and it usually sucks, but I think I got it right, $400 million. Right. That's a lot of, that's a lot of credits. It's the highest budget for any of the Star Wars films. So, and, and there was a lot of overtime, from what I understand. Yeah, <clears> that makes and, sense. And their, and their production uh, went well over what was originally slated, uh, you know, to make being when you fire directors three quarters of the way through, you know, Ron Howard had a big task, I think, ahead of him. Um, and it's going to be interesting because, again, we'll never know 
unless there's a book written later on down the line, what he reshot. And, you know, to, to fit the tone that the Kasdans originally wrote the script for. And, um, you know, Kathleen Kennedy, who's worked with the Kasdans before, too, what they wanted to what they felt was the right way to go. Yeah, I wonder how many instances there are of things that weren't even really rewritten as much as like, oh, no, the lines were all said as they were in the script, but they didn't they didn't get the right performances from anyone. And yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing that is fascinating that it'd be great if we just knew what it was, just out of curiosity. I think the movie turned out great, so it's not like one of those things like, you know, there are people that are demanding a Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. It doesn't exist. This stuff exists, and if you don't want to show it to us, yeah, let somebody write about it. Um, I'm uh, somewhat friendly with a a well-known Star Wars artist named Dave Dorman, and he pointed out that there's a book of art about this movie that has some original concept that were not in the Ron Howard version. So there's a little bit, there's some glimpses of things that you can see. I don't remember the name of the book, but if you just look for the art book about yeah. Solo, you'll find some things that, that aren't might, in there. I might actually get that book. I love those kinds yeah, of Yeah, I, I always love those yeah. books. Even as a kid, I, I had like Me all these too. sketchbooks and everything from yeah. each of the Star Wars movies. Yeah, so. so I mean, it's awesome. It's such a visual movie and story. Mm-hmm. It has to, it, like, it adds so much. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, it's, and again, I'm like you. I wouldn't go into wanting to know about what was shot and how it affected and, and as a negative, just as a movie buff, just, just as a movie fan. It's, it's curious, because yeah. it, it is part of like Hollywood does this all the time. And I think it's a great le- I think it's a great Hollywood lesson, more so than just keeping it within, you know, it's in the Star Wars universe, but I think it's a great Hollywood lesson to learn. Like that's why I'm fascinating. It's fascinated is like what did they change? What version why was this changed when Ron Howard came in? How much of it did he have to change? <clears throat> so that they can get back on the track that they felt it needed to go on. Uh, even as simply as, like, I would just like whatever was considered the final shooting draft when Lord and Miller started, I'd like sure. to read that script. And that's not even about how it was filmed. So then you'll get a little bit of a feeling of, like, okay, so these things changed. And, yeah, it's like you just kind of always want to know what's so different about yeah, it. Yeah, and, 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 and again, I had read uh, in that article, again, that was in Variety, that it said that Lord and Miller really went off the page a lot, that they used, that they, they were encouraging a lot more improvisation than they wanted, yeah. and that they did at sometimes 30 takes. 30 takes. That's excessive. That's excessive I think the only expensive. director I can really think of at the, <clears throat> off the top of my head who does more than 30 takes could be Fincher. Yeah, uh, David O. Russell will yeah. definitely do 50 yeah. takes of, of picking up a pair of keys or something. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but right. you know, only a little. Yeah. And yeah, but you're right. And, and those are the kind of directors that you'll let do that. I mean, you know, now that things aren't shot on film as much, it's a little easier to justify. Right. But yeah, I, and uh, to your point, though, just as a movie buff, I always want to know things like that. Like, you know, how did the studio get involved and ruin the Magnificent Ambersons? You know, just little things like that. I always mm-hmm. want to know. And then when you can see original cuts and things, great. But even if you don't, it's like you just read about it and it's always kind of interesting to know it's, those sort of Especially things. if you like the movie. I always want to know yeah. more background about the movie, whether there whether there was strife on set or not, I enjoyed this movie. What's what's a lot of this history behind it? And obviously, there is history with this particular movie. And I'm just uh, curious from from a movie standpoint, and the fact that I really did like this movie. So um, let's move into reception. 
Um, I want to talk about reception because I think marketing and we'll talk backlash and such, which we hinted upon. So thus far, thus far, um, as of yesterday, May 31st, uh, it's done. Let's round up uh, $120 million domestically. Uh, and for for a movie that's been out eight days, for let's point that eight, out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Listen, I I remember a day if a movie reached a hundred million dollars, that was a benchmark. Okay. Now, if you don't do that in opening weekend, you're called a failure. Yeah, <laughs> and no, to me, that I, it just makes me laugh. Not to get too off the topic, but the perfect example of how I didn't understand box office was when the second Andrew Garfield Spider Man came out, Amazing Spider Man Two. It made five hundred million dollars. I'm like, they're like, it was a colossal failure. I'm like. How? How? You made so much money! (laughs) But to me, the biggest tragedy is that they call it a colossal failure. They never finish that trilogy. Yeah. And it's like, how is that a failure in any in any book? Like, I don't understand, but it's, it's Hollywood accounting. Yeah. So thus far, even from a foreign perspective, the movie's done about 82 million. So we're looking at worldwide 200 plus million dollars worldwide. That's half of the 400, but to do 400 million <clears throat> to cover cost, they would have to do almost a billion dollars. Almost. Uh, so they do have an uphill. I understand they have an uphill. And they really said there was an article, again, I believe it was in Variety, that talked about they really are going to heavily rely not only on some more foreign markets opening up. Um, but on its ancillary markets as well. Uh, and um, sadly, you know, it, it, it sort of kind of puts a sequel in jeopardy as to yeah. whether or not and there'll be one. It's really unfortunate <clears throat> because this is an earlier release, quote-unquote, for this film because it's in the summer. All the other Star Wars, the most recent ones that we've had, have been in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. It's a different time of the year where people are watching movies. Everyone's going to the theaters to watch the, all the summer blockbusters. And it's also unfair to compare these numbers compared to the last three biggest ones as of right now has been Black Panther, Infinity War, and Deadpool. And those are all Marvel movies, and they're all Disney. And so they're comparing these numbers to those numbers, yeah. and it's I feel that's wrong. It, it, you're, you, your point is well made. Deadpool's technically Fox at this point, but yeah, Fox, you're right; they're Marvel right, properties. But it is Marvel, and yes, but right. you Don't mentioned two movies that have come out in the last month, and so here's another one. Not everybody can get out to the movies as often as they'd like. I have two small kids. Believe me, there's a lot of stuff I don't get out to see. These are the sort of movies I make the time for, and make the time for twice. So I think you get a lot of people that just are like, oh, I still haven't seen Infinity War. Oh, I wanted to see Deadpool. Oh, and now they're Star Wars, there's just too much. But my one question about placement in sort of when it was released, we had a Star Wars movie six months ago. This is really soon. And I think that the way that that movie was received, Last Jedi, I think is less important. The way people all of a sudden started talking about it, I didn't love it. But people talk about it now the way they, they like hated that movie. And I was like, didn't you like it like four months ago? So I think that it comes a little too close on the heels to a, a highly divisive Star Wars movie. I wonder if this had come out when Rogue One came out, would it have a completely different reaction? I don't know. It's something we'll never know. But I just wonder if coming out six months after The Last Jedi hurt the film more than any of the other things that we're talking about. Well, I don't think that... Well, I'm not even going to... Just watch our Rogue One recap. I'm not going to get into Rogue One. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, it's an interesting interesting idea. Uh, And, you know, growing up as a product of, like, the 70s and 80s, 
these movies came out on Memorial Day weekend or around that time. Every, I know three, this, every three years. <clears throat> yeah. Every three years. And I know this for a fact because my birthday is on May 22nd. And part of my birthday celebration was going into Boston to see these movies. But to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, these were summer, big-time summer releases that would come out May and June, right? Like, that was a big time. So a lot of people, Forbes magazine had an article that said, no, it's not Star Wars fatigue. It's all on Solo itself. And it's and it's too bad. This movie, for whatever its reasons, it's getting this bad rap. And I don't understand why. From a critic standpoint, I believe the last I checked, uh, Rotten Tomatoes is at a 71%, right? I think Rogue... One was 90 or high 80s or low 90s. Again, I don't agree with that at all. But it's high. <laughs> it is high. But I don't understand. But I've I've heard people say this movie is trite. The movie is light. The movie, and I'm like, but did you ever watch Star Wars? Yeah. Star I, Wars is as simple as can be. It's a damsel who's not so much a damsel. She's she's pretty strong and powerful. But <laughs> it's a let's save the princess. Yeah. We've got sword fights, we've got knights, we've got honor, we've got a scoundrel, and we've got a farm boy, and it's this really evil character versus these really good characters. We don't even see an emperor in Star Wars. We just see something, good guys, bad guys. It's simple. It's a simple story. That's why it was so successful in the 70s, because it gave, there was a shift. There was a shift of the tone of how movies are, and Star Wars... <clears throat> was it Jaws, Close Encounters, and Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark played a major uh, uh, part in the shift of how people and why people were going to the movies because they had something to cheer for and it was positive and they were just fun. Han Solo is or Solo is just fun. I don't have. I can go to the movies to have a good time. Does it have to be dark or too heady? That's why I like Ready Player One, because it was just fun. Right. Also, and just the releases of the original trilogy back then in the cast that they had. They had temple actors back then. And they, they had Billy Dee Williams. They had Harrison Ford was on his way up from these films. I mean, especially and, by Return of the Jedi. You yeah. Know, by the and time Return had, of the Jedi comes out, Harrison Ford, you know, he'd already been yes, in Indiana Jones. Right. And, we had yeah. it. Alec McGinnis, you know, Alec Guinness, he, like, yeah. he like we had big names back then that helped bring the audience to, and they didn't have internet. The the way no. that the way how those movies became so popular was because people were actually watching the films. Yeah, and and the generations are just completely different of how people yeah. why people go to the films. I mean, and to think that George Lucas hired Alec Guinness because he was the biggest star in Star Wars. Yeah, like he, yeah. And I needed somebody because nobody Academy knew. Award winner and by and nobody to think, knew. like next from there, probably Peter Cushing is the next right. person in the movie to bring people into the theater. Right. Like, oh, I like right. him, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and then, it's, and, so yeah, and then uh, recognizable, yeah. recognizable faces. <laughs> and yeah, I think that I, I think this movie could have done better to come out next May. And I think. I didn't have the bad reaction some people did when I heard that Disney was going to be making Star Wars movies. When they said they were going to put out a Star Wars movie every year, I'm like, I think that's too much. I love that the trilogy movies came out three years apart. We had to wait forever. Mercy, you wouldn't even understand. That wait from 1980 to 1983, Luke says... 
I mean, Darth Vader says, Luke, I'm your father. I'm like, what? No, that can't be true. That doesn't even make sense. Oh, no, Han Solo's frozen. In three years. That's interminable. And, and at the long, time, you didn't, you didn't even necessarily know how many years it would be because yeah. there was nothing really set. There was nothing about there was nothing about franchise. Like, they made the movie, well, Star Wars is a hit. Nobody thought it was going to be a hit. So then when they go into Empire, you, you get dropped that bomb, and then Han Solo's in Carbonite. And you, you, well, there was no. Well, here's the other. Here's the other thing. I want to throw this. I want to throw this meatball on the table here because I think social media is a blessing and a curse. Uh, the blessing because of getting word out, you know, whether it's streaming, tweeting, whatever the hell it is. But it's a curse today, I think, and it's something we didn't have back then. You don't have people publicly. You don't have websites going on. Telling, telling their readers, subscribers, whatever, what they feel should happen in the next movie, and then when because this is happening happening a lot, and I think it's one of the things that pissed so many people off about Last Jedi. That's one of the things I liked about Last Jedi is everybody had a couple of years to figure out in their head what the movie should be, and when it turned out not to be the movie that they wrote in their head, <laughs> they got pissed, and that happens a lot, a lot, a lot. Go to Cinema Blend, and I guarantee you'll find some article that says the next things that need be done in the next Star Wars movie. It's like, no, no, they don't need to do anything from what, no, like who put you in charge? Yeah, based on one person's opinion. Write a script, get it sold, and then have them change it. But Kathleen Kennedy and and, and team. No, it doesn't have to. All the movie has to yeah, be is entertaining. Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams know what needs to be in episode nine. They, they don't need Cinema Blend. They don't need us. They don't, they don't need anybody to tell that's them what needs don't to be in it. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you bring up Empire Strikes Back, I mean, I think that's a great point. It's not like, I'm your father. We have to wait. It's like, it's not a question of, oh my God, how is he his father? It's a question of, is he really his father? Is he lying? Was he lying? <laughs> yeah. What the hell's going on? Here? I figured he had to be lying because it doesn't make any sense. I love those guys. I was four when I saw that movie. I'm like, no, there's no way. There's yeah, no way. There's just, no way. Yeah. You don't want to believe it. And and so there wasn't this theorizing as to what's going on. There was still the question of, and it's like, how are we going to get Han back? I had no idea he was going to be a trophy sitting on the wall at Tatooine, right? So it was like, it was like, how are we going to resolve these? I never, as a kid, thought this is the boy. They better do it. And then, oh well, they didn't do it my way. This movie sucks. Yeah, yeah if they'd done it my way, <laughs> the movie would have been great. Yeah, and that's where it's a curse today. I feel. Yeah. Oh, like, well, I'll just use the the flip side of that is yeah. that at least now the one good thing is when you do like something, you're able to much easier find like minded people. Like, yeah, I like that too. Star Wars is a bad example, but you know, comic books. I didn't know that many people that read comic books, and now there's movies, and everybody knows sure. who all these characters are. So it's good. But then when you get into the well, I know better than the people who made the movie. And look, there are movies that I feel like I probably knew better than the people who made the movie. It's not these ones. There's movies where I'm like, well, that third act didn't work, you know? But I don't say that uh, yeah. that it needs to be my way. But there's right. definitely, yeah, you can still be critical. Yeah. But people are, 
there you have a, a small you have a small minority of people that are so much louder than you know there used to be magazines that would be like oh here's a little bit about return of the jedi oh. or here's what's going to happen in revenge of the jedi as it was called starlog uh, yeah was starlog my, magazine I, yeah. it came out once a month and so it I was like printed yeah and it was just stuff that you know probably had been sitting around for like six months and they doled out a little bit i'm like oh i had a picture i remember seeing like 20 seconds of Return of the Jedi on Good Morning America. I'm like, I can't wait for that movie. Yep. It was a speeder bike chase. I'll, yep. I still remember yep. because it was so great. And it was like when you got little things, it was so amazing. Now it's like, hey, where's the uh, behind the scenes on the set blog from the director telling yeah. me what's going on? Yeah. You know, I don't want that much access. But – you know, to your point, that's it's just what people are conditioned to see. Exactly, they, are, yeah. you are, they, they want so much. That's condition. the exact problem with sorry, not today. no, no. no. The, that's the exact problem with the internet because we effing millennials lo- love to know what's up. So, and we go every single day trying to find the newest update on. Wh- hey, this is happening. This is happening. They casted this person. They're filming here. X, Y, and Z. We're so conditioned to knowing what, what exactly they're doing every single freaking day on the production. Right. And, and, and we to, don't have that. And allow, allow me to add to that. They will up to up to release of the movie. They, or like when it's in pre-production, they will search for every single spoiler possible and then release it saying this is what's going to happen blah blah oh we found this out and then like a week prior to the release of the movie i don't want any spoilers it's like <laughs> for five years it's all you've been releasing done. is spoilers yeah. and yeah. now you don't want to hear spoilers but you're right though um watch it like reading starlog there would be a picture of c3po on tattooing desert there would be an article about it but there were no spoilers um and sometimes we are conditioned today to getting information like this but sometimes that hurts and i don't know what it is with solo necessarily uh i would never go i would call it light and breezy and fun and thrilling and action but i would never call it trite because as a star wars fan and again this is a movie that won me over i didn't go in with the highest of expectations so for it to win me over i felt that was a win for them uh for doing this star wars story uh it, it got an A minus on Cinema Score, which is which is pretty damn good. That yeah. means the audience they did is, something, right? and, it, and I'd say that's fairly accurate. It's not an A plus movie, but it's definitely an A or an A minus. It's not solid great, film. solid. Yeah. And I walked out with a smile, and we and each I, saw it a second time, so that should tell you something. I you know? think so. And, and you know what? I really am proud of my my rebel friends here because this. Uh, I, I, would, I had hoped that we were going to be a panel of love. For solo, because maybe maybe it'll encourage people to go back a second time and maybe appreciate it more. Or if you haven't, sorry if we spoiled. Sorry, a couple sorry of if you stuck in this. Long. But now <laughs> go in and 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 see the movie and and I think you'll come out with with. I think you'll yeah, come you'll, out with there. With a there good are time. definitely people who are still unsure that like didn't want to see it and go. Oh well, the box office wasn't great, so I must not see it for that reason. And I don't want to get bogged down in the tomato meter, but that is the worst indication of anything ever. And it's you know, there's movies that have like 30s on tomato meter, and there's movies that have hundreds where you're like, no, neither of those are right. You know, movies that are hundreds aren't even close to hundred. Mm-hmm. And your movie to be a 30, I have to think of a movie I saw that was a 30. Oh, Aloha. That's the, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I saw it in the theater. That's probably a 30. Our biggest disparity, <laughs> Mother. Mother. Which, that had an F on CinemaScore. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, 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 you know. But 
Uh, Solo is definitely worth it. Uh, Final thoughts, and and again, Marissa, ladies first. Again, it's a fun film. I personally don't even like Westerns, but I liked this film for the most part. It's fun, it's adventurous, it has a good establishment of a character that we know and love, and I'd be willing to see a second one when they follow up. Yeah, I hope. I mean, as we referenced the fact that uh, Beckett has has a job with some gangster on Tatooine, I'm like, oh my god, this is great. So I hope they figure out a way. And look, there are movies that don't do as well as expected but still get sequels. I think Ant-Man's a perfect example. We got Ant-Man and the Wasp, so they can figure out a way to get us another Han Solo movie. Maybe it's going to be a little bit more Lando-heavy if they feel like that's going to help it. Or I just – I think we will get another one. I just don't mm-hmm. think it will be in two, three years. It might be it – may, maybe three years. It's going to be a little while before they get another story and i think that they'll focus it the right way uh and i I don't know i'm more let's put it this way i'm more interested in that than the obi-wan kenobi movie uh the boba fett movie i would be interested in because we know so little about him i'm like it's almost a blank canvas so there's a chance for that one but i I hope we get more solo i agree with marcy on that i agree i agree that i agree in getting more solo i I don't want them to take too too long because all them everybody's going to grow up True. Uh, I don't want them to get that much older. Um, you don't want them to be to... older than Harrison Ford <laughs> when they make the next one. <laughs> Good one. Um, it, no, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I think it was a lot of fun. Uh, for me, the missteps, like they could have made the, 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 the trailers. Um, I think the trailers, they could have leaned a little bit more in the action. I think they actually showed too much of Alden. And I'm not dissing him. But when you're seeing him in clips and not watching that performance as the whole, I think it makes people go, he's not Harrison Ford. Look, no, it's like you have to give that, you have to give the actor the the, the time to grow on you. And it it takes minutes. Um, They should have focused on, I I felt a lot more of the action. But uh, listen, we have a long summer ahead of us. Uh, I think this is one of the fun movies to go see. It's perfect for summer. It's a very good popcorn movie. Uh, a, a lot of love for this movie. And now we have some more movies coming out later on this month alone. We'll have a, we'll have a Jurassic World uh, we'll be talking about. With Bryce uh, Dallas with, Howard. With Bryce Dallas Ron's Howard. daughter. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Keeping it in the yeah, family. And, 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 and the one thing that I'm looking forward to, the next Mission Impossible. Cannot oh, wait for that. Cannot wait. So we've got the rest of the summer and, and, and hopefully light fun, breezy action movies where you can just go in and walk out with a smile and felt like you had a good time. So there's nothing wrong with movies giving you a good time. You know, everybody says, oh, they're so expensive. But go and have a good time. See Solo. We thank you very much for tuning in over here and watching us at Anatomy of a Movie and putting in your time. As always, please feel free to comment on our YouTube page and iTunes. Let us know what you thought of Solo. And uh, Marissa, where can people support you? Everyone can follow me everywhere at Serafini TV. Thank you very much. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. And as I shamelessly plugged earlier, my personal podcast, The Blackcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T.com. We just did also an hour and a half on Solo. So if you want a total of three hours of Solo, come find our latest yeah. episode over there. And, and hey, welcome back. Thank you. Very oh, much. I was I, always Thanks. happy. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, if, if you want me to be uh, less than positive, then have me on to talk about Jurassic World. That thing looks terrible. <laughs> it could. Maybe it'll. But maybe it like fun. your. Maybe it might win fun. me over. Yeah. But thank you again. Oh, for, happy to be for here. joining again. I'm Dimitri Panos. You can follow me on Twitter or support me at D Movies at D Movies one seven zero one. Thank you very much. Keep on watching. Keep on going to the movies. More importantly, because that's where we'll see you. 
Take care, folks. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. <laughs>